And welcome to Pablo Fatidis. You caused quite a storm last week, Pablo Fatidis, when you started going, <laughs> is that the Kung Fu noise or is that another martial art or just a groan or grunt? No, the real Kung Fu noise is silent. Ooh, scary. Yeah, very. <laughs> so what we did last week is we spoke about the principles of Kung Fu and how you could apply it to your small business. It was brilliant. I was sitting listening to Pablo with my jaw on the table just because I know very little about, a little about Kung Fu and I learned a lot more about Kung Fu. And it was interesting how you then put that into a context of small business. The podcast of that conversation, incidentally, is up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Bruce Business. If you missed out or simply want to have another listen to it. So tonight, the five Business principles of crochet. <laughs> crochet, if you don't know it, is 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 making little doilies and things using a, a bent needle, and it's about threading thread and pulling it and being very patient. Well, uh, Bruce, I'm, you know, I got it wrong because I actually prepared the five business principles of croquet. <laughs> I'm, I'm, very I'm, slow business. I'm willing to listen to that. <laughs> it's cutthroat. It needs a bit of <laughs> it's cutthroat. It's malicious. If you, I, I, I was walked past a croquet green the other day, and there were some people playing croquet. I don't, I don't want to mix with those people. <laughs> no. They're mean. And they're holding a very, very hard, long hammer. Exactly. Like <laughs> four with extra reach. Okay. Let's get on to tonight, please. Because what we want to talk about this evening, Pablo, and if you want to disrupt our conversation, we love nothing more on 021-446-0567-011-883-0702. It's the five-finger salute. It feels like it could get rude. It could. But you know what? The five-finger salute, most people understand it to be what's in it for me. Five words, five fingers. Brilliant. Yes. Okay. And I think that entrepreneurs need to turn that around because the conventional thinking doesn't typically work. In fact, Bruce, you know, most people are really not interested in what's in it for you. They're mostly interested in what's in it for themselves. It's my business. I started the business. You must come into my mm -hmm. shop. You must buy my stuff. And then you must go away, leaving the money with me and mm. taking the product away because it was rubbish in the first place. Whew, I've got rid of that and now I have cash. Okay. But if we apply this five-finger salute and reverse it and we apply it to ourselves, we apply it to customers, we apply it to suppliers, competitors for that matter, government, and I've heard that they're playing a big role now in regulating or unregulating, etc. We apply it to our own staff. It actually is a very, very effective way for you to realize what business you're in and what kind of entrepreneur you are. So in the first instance, if I apply to myself and say, okay, as an entrepreneur, what's in it for me? There are a couple of things that are going to emerge from it. Am I an opportunity-based entrepreneur? Because in answering that question, if the vision of what my business could be is more important than the money I could immediately make, then it suggests you're an opportunity-based entrepreneur as opposed to a necessity-based entrepreneur. And the two will have very, very different mm -hmm. act activities or energies behind them or intents behind them. If we don't ask that question, we can often forget. And the problem with forgetting why you do business and why you're building a business is that you could land up 15, 20, 30 years later still running that business Unable to escape from it yeah. because it's a source, it's a sole source of income. You've never built anything that could be sold, and you, in effect, remain trapped in that business. And given the fact that 94% of businesses started don't get sold, perhaps it's a question most of us as entrepreneurs don't ask enough of. Okay, so we sit down and we say, okay, what's in it for you? Okay, so what is it? What's in it for my customer, which is, adds an extra word, which doesn't help. So we'll stick with what's in it for you. Um, it, it, 
feels like it's the most logical question in the world. It feels like, obviously, I'm not going to stay in business if I, have, if I don't think about you as my customer. Okay, so let's, let's go to the customer. Instead of saying what's in it for me when I sit in front of a customer and I ask rather what's in it for you, it, there's a fundamental shift in the way that you approach that customer. If, if you go into trading cultures mm-hmm. um, and you go, in, you go to Morocco, for example, or uh, I'm assuming if you go to India or, or anywhere like that, when you walk into the shop, you feel like you are being offered the best deal in the history of deals because the salesman, his pitch and his patter um, is aimed at you and the wonderful opportunity that you've got to buy this cup that I have in my right hand over here. It, it is one of a kind. It is marked at 100 bucks. But, you know, for you, I'm willing to give you a better price. Um, that is part of this process of it's slightly more deceptive, perhaps. It is. Um, but you, you still feel sold. You but, still but feel you're being in, sold. You feel, but, but if it's well done and you're not, it's not an, an aggressive process, Suddenly you feel, hold on, this, is, this deal is about me. It's not about the shop owner. The shop owner, despite the fact that he has seven poor cousins who he has to feed on a daily <laughs> basis, is willing to give me a discount. What a guy. But let me give you a sense where it gets played out actively. Mm-hmm. So you know, recently uh, there's an entrepreneur we're doing some very interesting work with at the moment. And Bruce, this guy has managed to get some of the most amazing pumps, pump agencies in the world. They pump, they pump acid and they pump goo and they pump all sorts of things. And the features of these pumps are remarkable. It's anti-corrosive. It's anti-vibrational. It's anti-heat. It's anti-this. It's anti-that. Because when you're pumping dangerous fluids, you know, you can't afford to agitate those fluids. It can create a fire, an explosion, all sorts of things. But because the product has got so many phenomenal features to it, it's built with such incredible technology, I forget to ask to the customer what's in it for you. I focus instead on the attributes and the characteristics of my fantastic product or incredible service. My croissant is the softest and most buttery and crunchiest of all out there. That shows no empathy for the actual customer themselves. Because when people buy something, they're typically buying something to solve a problem of sorts. It might be a conscious problem or an unconscious problem. If you buy an expensive pair of jeans... Maybe you're buying an expensive pair of jeans to make you feel better. That's a problem you're solving. So everything that gets bought, gets bought in order to resolve a problem. If you don't ask what's in it for you before you ask what's in it for me as an entrepreneur, that exercise of empathy will never allude to what that problem might be. I, I need a more practical example of it because I, I'm struggling with the concept just a little bit. I want a pair of jeans. I go and I'm prepared to buy the pair of jeans. Uh, do I really need your life history? Okay, let me give you a really good example. There's a, a large organization out there and they, they're involved in the kind of beauty, home care, pharmaceutical space. And a number of years ago, about, and, and uh, let me get the dates right, probably about nine years ago, nine, nine, eight, nine years ago, the one thing that started to grow extensively, in particular the ethnic hair care market, were braids. Braids yep. started to become the thing. They were affordable, they were getting cheaper and cheaper, and the varieties were amazing. And this particular organization spotted this trend and they said, hang on a sec, we're going to capitalize on this. And what we're going to do is we're going to create a whole series of promotions, we're going to run them nationwide, and on that basis we're going to take the braid market. And they ran the promotions nationwide. And all they did was create an awareness around braids and lost the market 
to smaller, swifter organizations that had a better understanding of how customers bought. Because here's the thing. What was in it for them was to create a single campaign, run it across a single television platform, and that way it was efficient, neat, and clean, and they could manage down the cost of promotion, hopefully to get the business in. But braids don't get bought that way. You see, the way that braids get bought is in the main cities, Johannesburg, Cape Town, Durban. That's where you introduced the latest trend, colors, and fashion in braids. And you don't advertise those particular products into all parts of the country. You only advertise it in urban areas. And as we move towards April when people go home and December when people go home, do you then run that kind of promotion in the outlying areas? Because people in the outlying areas buy braids differently. They look to see who's coming from the big city and who's carrying the latest trend and they follow accordingly. But in this particular instance, it was massively inconvenient for this organization to break up the promotions into rural areas and urban areas. And all they did was create the demand and lose the opportunity. What was in it for them? It was easy to administer. It was easy to administer, but you lost out. Your business lost out. Completely. Pablo Fatidis this evening from Auric Business Incubator, helping you with your small business. Any issues you want to raise, uh, give us a shout on 021-446-0567-011-8830702. It is, in your business, what is in it for your customer? Um, And do you honestly care um, or do you pay lip service to the principal? My product is great. My service is great. You, you don't, I know I don't deliver it in the way you need it, but I know better than you. I'm good at this stuff. I've been doing it longer than you. I'm special. And you know what? You'll be grateful for the way I do it for you. Boy, oh boy, do we hear a lot of that as you go about your daily life. 011-883-0702-021-446-0567. The Money Show. Small business. Um, Patrick says that there's a guy who runs an executive hair salon uh, at the Vonderboom Junction Centre. It's very busy, but the owner doesn't use a till. Uh, he has an apron with big front pockets and takes all the cash. How does he pay tax to the government? I think we know the answer to that one, Patrick. Um, and, and that's also the nature of small business. Somebody was making the point earlier um, with the spaza industry in South Africa worth six and a half to seven billion rand a year. Well, if you managed it properly and you regulated it properly and you were more effective in your administration of the small business sector, you could tax it and actually generate revenue for the fiscus. You could. You could. You might disincentivize it, but you could also do that. Uh, do you disincentivize um, mm. or do you simply make sure that people um, pay their fair share? Why should you earn an income without paying tax? Yeah, look, I agree with you. But here's the thing, Bruce. If we had, let's say, a policy environment that recognized the difference between big businesses and small businesses and didn't apply big business red tape onto small businesses, maybe more and more people would want to do it because you're seeking credibility. You create create more opportunity for yourself if you're a credible business. It's... um, there's a cost that gets managed. There's a cost that gets assessed over there by an entrepreneur. They're going to move like water to the area where it's easiest to flow. There we go. Now, give me a sense, please. The five fingers salute. What's in it for you as my customer? But also, I mean, if you are a supplier, I mean, to me, I've got to be giving you the same salute. My hand's going to be tired by the end of this. Yeah, so let me give you a really good example. You know, there's a process I'm re- at the moment currently involved with. It's, uh, there's a, a large corporate organization that's looking for a particular kind of service. And the way that they've decided to go about procuring the service where we would be suppliers amongst other uh, companies out there 
is they have identified an organization that's very similar to all the other suppliers out there to come on board and help them craft the tender because they're going through a tender process. Now, in that particular instance, there's been absolutely no empathy. In other words, the question was asked, what's in it for me? What's in it for me is I need to acquire the service. I have to acquire the service. I want to do so in the least fussy way, in a way that's easy to organize. I know nothing about the service. I simply know I need to have it. So let me find an organization out there that professes to be an expert and let them craft the tender process Mm -hmm. for me. And the tender has been submitted and it's gone out to market. And the big dilemma that now is being faced is that all the top-end service providers that can provide the service at an exceptionally high level are looking at the tender process and saying, but we're going to be adjudicated by a competitor. And in that process, there's going to be exposure to intellectual property, to processes and policies and procedures, etc., etc., etc. No, we're not going to be participating over here had a little bit of thought gone into it and said, hang on a minute, we are looking for a service provider over here, but what is required to get the best out of that service provider? In other words, the empathy switched to the other side of the line. Right. Where you look at what does your supplier want from you as a customer of theirs so you can get the best out of them. It's an exercise that we generally, with our suppliers, are very, very poor at. So in this particular instance, The large organization, again, another large organization, practicing the same behavior, is going to have its efficiency, but it's not going to have the quality of service that it could have had. Uh, And there's also the other side of it. Most small businesses have got some kind of funding. Um, It could be your auntie, uncle, your cousin. It could could be a financial services provider. I mean, how does this relationship work there? So I had a very interesting case today. A very dynamic entrepreneur started, he's got six businesses under one umbrella, in the tech space, interesting, interesting man, really interesting man. He started four of them from the garage, literally, and the business collectively today, the, the six businesses collectively do about 200 million rand turnover. Nice for a private business, very nice size business with lots of scope. And today we sat down and we spoke about the four, five-year vision. The four, five-year vision is to take it up to 500 million rands worth of turnover with the intent to then exit. And why does he want to exit? Because he's saying, I can only manage a business up to that kind of size. Anything beyond that becomes impossible. So I want to raise a fund. And I said, okay, but what's in it for the funder? And he thought, well, a return. And I said, a return doesn't drive funding behavior. And after a small investigation, we realized that what drives a funder is completely different to the business plan that he had put down. The end of the exercise, with a little bit of empathy towards a funder, has resulted in a completely different process to build these businesses. Why does a funder need empathy? The, the funder is in it to make a return, as he said. I mean, there's, uh, I offer you offer me a million rand to help me grow my business, and um, the bank won't give me money, but you'll give me money at 10%. Um, you're charging me over the odds as things are, but I accept the deal. You need to have empathy for me. I've got to pay you the 10%. Because a return is the second priority of every funder. The first priority is can I exit that investment? Will I get my capital back? Will I be able to harvest the investment? I put the money in. Will I ever be able to sell those shares to get the return out? Because if you can't get that out, no matter how well that business does, Mm. you've got zero return.
Okay, fair enough. Um, different take. It's a completely different take on it, and it is about providing then that that, that level of surety, that level of security, perhaps, um, which is a, a, a subjective. I suppose it's a subjective offer that you put on the table. Yeah, it is. But look at the exercise that you go through. If you say what's in it for the funder before you worry about what's in it for you, you're also not going to waste your time visiting funders, Bruce, mm-hmm. that have absolutely no capability nor interest in your particular business or industry. You will actually conduct an exercise of empathy, look who's out there, and make your best selection in order to not waste their time, but more importantly, your time. So it always comes back to you. You always enjoy the benefit if you practice that empathy. Uh, what should we be doing if we go into businesses where we just feel like we're being sold a product or a service? We're just like, bleh. Um, you want jeans? Yeah, they're in the corner over there. What size? Uh-huh. Um, where you're not getting the service. Do we walk out? Do we, no, no, you don't walk do, out. Do we, do we start demanding some, No, you don't some walk out. If, it, if it's something like that, I think it's pretty futile demanding empathy in many instances. It's either something that gets practiced or not. In instances where it's not being practiced, negotiate hard on price because it's going to be a one-night stand. <laughs> I don't know about those sorts of negotiations. <laughs> Pablo Fatidis this evening from Auric Business Incubator uh, with all the, all you need to know about small business, of course, here on The Money Show.